Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, welcome to the Ops and Audibles podcast. <laughs> Matt Frame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. Uh, do over for the season? Uh, week, week, week one is here. Is that right? Or, yeah. or are we still um, fresh in our minds of that 49 to 3 ass kicking that Georgia delivered to the Oregon Ducks? I don't think it was a surprise that Oregon lost. It was a surprise that the manner the Ducks lost. To the Oregon, uh, to the Georgia Bulldogs, defending national champions. But I think we quickly learned that the, the difference between the teams competing for national championships and the ones that aren't uh, pr- pretty wide. Um, on this podcast, it's the mailbag. We're going to talk a lot about what happened on on, on Saturday against the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, some thoughts of what we saw, uh, and we're also going to dive into. What's to come? Because that's now the story. How does this team move on from that performance? And how do they have that be a defining moment? Do they crumble or do they excel? Yeah, I mean, this is this is such a crappy situation to be in, just in terms of doing a podcast a couple of days after this, because it's like the, the more time away from it and the more time I've like went and watched stuff, it's like, yeah, that was just, that was as bad as I thought it was. It might've been worse in the moment. I mean, it was just a really, really ugly showing. And We'll get to some questions here regarding some of the specifics and, um, you know, and I think we'll kind of answer a lot of is the sky falling questions, which I think are mm-hmm. understandable. Um, my answer is no. And that'll be the answer to a lot of this stuff. Sorry. Hey, sorry. Spoilers. Um, but I mean, I just think in general, I, I understand the fan frustration and concern after a game like that, just because the outcome is Oregon doesn't end up on the losing end of these kind of games really at all. Um, you go back 2016, 70 to 21, Washington over Justin Herbert in his first start was the last time the margin was this broad. And then the last time Oregon didn't score a touchdown was a year later when Herbert got hurt and Braxton Burmeister went up to Seattle and they couldn't score a touchdown there. So this these type of you know, outcomes are unusual for Oregon to be on this side of. So I understand the concern, especially to start a season with a new head coach, with a quarterback who's new, who played a pretty significant role in some of the offensive shortcomings. So I get all of that, um, but I think hopefully we're able to, I don't know, convey a sense of, I don't want to say hope or optimism, but just a sense of like, hey, let's continue to be somewhat patient and see what the next couple of weeks hold, because fair or not, it's really hard to measure against Georgia what Oregon is. I, I mean, it's, it's really difficult to really kind of know where you are. You certainly know you're not one of the best teams in the country, but is this team still capable of winning eight, nine, ten games? Possibly. We just don't know yet, and I think we'll have a better idea um, once they get through non-conference and honestly to that bye week once they have a couple of games in Pac-12 play. So there's my brief uh, kind of rundown before we jump into the questions, a little bit longer intro than normal, but I just wanted to address that because it's a tough spot. Weird times for Oregon. I think fans are pretty disappointed, and I get why. All right, first one from at 541 Ducks. Obviously, Georgia is an incredible team offensively, but how concerned should we be considering a brave rod in a defensive-minded head coach? a proven defensive coordinator in Tosh Lupoy, and have both proven players, 
he put in parentheses, Noah Sewell, Bennett Williams, et cetera, and highly ranked prospects, Flo, Manning, DJ Johnson. Um, by the way, five questions today, all five from new question askers. So this is, it's good to see new people jumping in, having thoughts, wanting to kind of get our opinion. We appreciate you being here. Um, thank you, 541 Depths. Hopefully you continue to ask questions going forward. And that goes for the rest of the group that kind of made question asking debuts. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I've kind of gone, you know, I, I posted this on Twitter during the game and like the second half when it was really ugly. And I said, you, you, you kind of have a glass half full or a glass half empty perspective on this. And the glass half full is what you just said to start this thing. Georgia's incredible. Their, their skill talent is absolutely <laughs> un, un, unworldly, man. I mean, just the, the caliber of athlete they have there um, across the board with a veteran quarterback with an offensive, with an offensive coordinator, frankly, who I think gets overlooked because the defense is typically the calling card. But, you know, you, you look at what they've done the last couple of years, that is a offense that is almost always kind of finding new ways to exploit defenses. And they certainly figured it out for Oregon. So that's the glass half full is, is, Hey, we played a really good team. We're not going to play a team like that again. They figured us out. The glass half empty is the second half here, which is you do have a defensive minded head coach who has experience being one of the best coordinators in the country. Tosh Lupoy was a defensive coordinator on a national championship team at Alabama. You ran through the talent there. Um, Here's what I would say. I think what Georgia did was look and say, hey, here's where Oregon's talent is concentrated. We're just not going to deal with any situations where they're playing to their strengths. So mm -hmm. I think it's difficult for, I mean, certainly it's not encouraging. I'm not going to sit here and say like, yeah, you should feel great about it. I think it's, it's hard for me to say like, oh, these coaches can't coach. Those players can't play when what Georgia did, I think they deserve credit for which is they said, hey, we're going to play to the perimeter. Where's Oregon's biggest weakness? We've been saying it all fall. It's in the secondary. It's, 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 it's probably safety. It's probably corner. Um, and that's where they played. And the other put that they played into was Oregon's two best players defensively are really good in the box. They're not great out in space. Um, they run pretty well, but are, these aren't guys that are going to be able to keep up with some of the speed that Georgia has running side to side. And that's what we saw was they stretched the field. They made it so Flo and Sewell were running sideline to sideline. They had some success. Flo had 10 tackles. Um, they also had moments where they struggled. And I also think that we have to give some credit to Georgia for scheming something against the defense they were pretty familiar with, or at least the base concepts of what they were familiar with. So um, I want to see Oregon against competition that's more, con you know, I guess comparable to what they'll see the rest of the season, which is going to be Eastern Washington and BYU, BYU being more close, probably close to what we'll see the rest of the conference play and against a staff that doesn't have as much familiarity. I'm sure though, across the country, all the teams on the rest of Oregon's schedule are watching this game going, okay, there's the blueprint. And that's the thing yep. that you do get concerned is things did get exposed in terms of how you want to attack this team. Georgia didn't need to throw the ball downfield because they figured out ways in the flat and screen game to win battles. I mean, I, about the being exposed and like that's the blueprint i'm not i'm not 100 sure if that'll be the case just because there's no other team in the country especially in the pac-12 that have the athletes like but don't you think don't program. you think they'll, don't you think teams are just going to choose to attack you there if they can though i mean i think that's what yeah i think they'll i think they'll try to 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. I think they'll try to. I just don't know. I don't just don't think it'll be a, nearly as a, as effective as it of is course, against of course Georgia. It's not going to be, be as effective. Yeah. It's not going right. to be as effective. But that's that's where you start out, and that, and that's that's right. Like, and we're you know, and I, I would anticipate that Oregon's defensive staff is going to try to make adjustments to this too, heading into week two, because they obviously, clearly, and everybody else in the country now know that that is uh, a place to exploit Oregon's defense, but. Uh, I guess if, if I'm answering the question about how concerned I should be or how concerned, I guess, the fan base should be about this defensive, um, not just just a poor defensive performance against Georgia. Um, I, yeah, I guess there's some levels of concerns. But again, we're talking about the number three ranked team in the country, the reigning national champions. We're talking about a team that um, is going to be right there in contention for the college football playoff and the national championship again. Uh, I see that that. A lot of people are, you know, taking that that aspect that it's this type of team or Georgia is that type of team, and then considering the fact that Oregon isn't that type of team. And I don't, I don't think anybody thought that Oregon was that type of team. Um, I think there's a clear, vast difference between almost every team in the country compared to those top three teams in Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama. Um, I think you know, it's the same reason. I think I talked about this on our post game podcast. It's the same reason it, it was like the the same three or four teams for a while in the college football playoff is because that's the that's the level that you have to get to and the, those play, those teams are already there. Um, so I don't put too much concern into it. I think Georgia had a really good game plan. I think they have tremendous athletes and tremendous coaching. Um, I think another part is that a, like a couple players in Oregon's defense haven't played a real football game in like a year and a half or like a year at least. You look at you know, uh, Steve Stevens and Bennett Williams and Justin Flo, like those guys were all hurt for Flo was out for the entire year. Bennett was out for three quarters of the year. Steve Stevens was out for half a year last season. Like it's going to take a while. You know, they're going to need to get, you know, used to this defense. They're going to need to get used to how it is to play in the game. Um, I mean, there were, there, there's still a lot of talent on this defense. Like the, like the question asked with the highly ranked prospects. Um, I still think that they'll come around. It's just going to take time. It's going to take a while, and it might. Um, what I mean by that is, it might not look great in the first two or three weeks. But you know, this is a defense that is really complicated. Um, that needs to figure out what their what their disadvantages are and how to how to subtract those and figure out how to you know make those something where it's not just going to be exploited every game. Um, and I, like Eric mentioned, I think Georgia did a fantastic job of. Uh, creating a game plan where they knew what was going to happen on defense. I mean, that was the whole thing about this was who, who has the advantage here? Is it, is it Dan Lanning who knows their offense or is it Georgia who knows Dan Lanning's defense? And, and I think it was a cat and mouse game and Georgia and Kirby smart clearly had the game plan that they knew exactly what was going to work against a Dan Lanning led defense or Tosh Lupoi led defense. So, and it's also not the first time Kirby smart has seen a Tosh Lupoi led defense either. So I think it's I think there are some concerning factors, but I wouldn't be like the sky is falling. And, you know, this is a I saw someone on the board yesterday say that this is a four to six win team. Um, I don't think that's it. I, I just think that this is a team that that Georgia is a team that is that would put the beat down on near on everybody in the Pac-12. I don't think nearly anybody. I think they would put it on everybody considering Florida beat Utah on the, on the last second interception. So, uh, Matt, you're up. 
I saw, by the way, I saw, I saw, I saw two win team from somebody. I saw oh, two win team. Somebody said, somebody said, this is still a 10 win team. And someone said, no, this is a 10 loss team. So, you know, people are really rational right now. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. I, I think I said at the very beginning, I said it on the podcast after the game, we just learned the, the talent gap between the teams that are truly 100% capable of winning a national championship and the teams that they even could make the playoff and still not work out. Um, and I, I think what I walked away from that, the more disappointing thing was, for me at least, was that I felt like Oregon was closer than they look like they are to being in that national championship level discussion you know, then a 49 to three. Is that the worst case scenario? Yeah. I think if Oregon played that game again, 10 times, they probably lose eight of those games, but I don't think a lot of them are going to be that big of a blowout. Maybe it, you know, it's going to be bad, but it's not going to be a 49 to three outcome. I think Oregon played a really bad game. I think Georgia played a really good game. And then you combine the fact that Georgia's really good and has a huge talent advantage. And that's what led to a 49 to three outcome i don't think we can judge this staff until we see what are week one to week two improvements what are week one to week four improvements what are week one to week game six improvements uh, of this team and that's when we'll start figuring things out that's when we'll start wondering boy this is concerning they still aren't fixing this this isn't getting uh this isn't improving or maybe it's a case of against byu maybe they just blow the doors off eastern washington and then BYU comes to town here in two weeks, and Oregon wins that game, thirty-five to ten. That would be really impressive. That would be really that that would that would show a lot about where the staff is for making adjustments and and getting the team riding the ship, and it would tell me a lot about this team as well. So, unfortunately, Oregon is in a position where they played so bad, we won't know the answers to a lot of our questions of concern for a couple of weeks because we don't know if it was a fluke if it was the real thing or somewhere in between and it's probably somewhere in between agreed and i think that's the message for a lot of this is going to be let's wait and see which stinks but i mean i think it would be problematic if we were here like hey Oregon should fire its defensive coordinator or something after a game like that that would just seem mm -hmm. really knee-jerk all right second the, the, the money that they've invested in into landing into this coaching staff into the the off-field people, you're stupid if that's what happens. If, if you're going to invest all that kind of money, unless Phil Knight or Pat Kilkenny just wants to grab some money and and light money on fire and pay out the buyout, like you're just – you're overreacting. All right. Next one from at Taylor underscore Nick underscore L. Hey, hashtag odds and audibles. Something I have been thinking about. Is it fair to measure the regression of Oregon's defense by comparing this performance against Georgia with the one they had against Ohio State last year? How many players played in both games? Um, That's a good question. Five players started last year's game against Ohio State that also started this year's game. Um, those players being Bennett Williams, Steve Stevens, uh, Noah Sewell, Brandon Dorless. And where's the other? TriQuest Bridges also started at corner um, a year ago. So there's five um, other players that started a year ago that didn't start this game, not to go too far down this. Uh, Braden Swinson was on the team, but didn't start. Popo Amavai, Mace Funa are on this year's team. Uh, neither started. Amavai didn't 
make the trip. I think he's going to get the trip. Keith Brown started last year, but as you recall, obviously he's not going to play he over Justin yeah. Flo. Uh, Mikhail Wright uh, was and Jerome McKinley are the two other absences there. Um, so I think from a personnel perspective, like yeah, you have to remember this is a pretty different defense to a lot of you know in terms of playing together. There are some. There's you know about half the guys have played a, pl- a ton, probably more than that if you want to just go through non-starters. A lot of guys have played together, but not a lot of them have started. Um, so I think there's I think there is some validity to that question. I also uh, just several things on this game comparing these two, which is interesting. By the way, Ohio State gained more yards. Yeah, are we gonna are we considering that Oregon's defense was good against Ohio State? Well, here's what happened. Here's the difference. Here's here's the here's how I would talk about it. I think the difference between these two games was one you played against Stetson Bennett, who has been a starter for a full season now, won a national championship, firing on all cylinders, really confident, didn't turn the ball over, was extremely accurate with the football, and, and really played about a perfect game. And then you can conversely, CJ Stroud, his second start as a freshman, super talented guy who went on and by the end of the season was one of the best quarterbacks really in the country and, and, and one of the Heisman Trophy favorites this year. But that was the second game of the season. Made some mistakes. They turned the ball over a little bit. Oregon, right. and so the difference here is that Ohio State gained actually more yardage. They had 612 yards um, in that game. Georgia only gained 612. Only, only, only yeah. Georgia only only gained 571. Georgia scored 49 points. Ohio State scored 28. And that's the difference is that those 21 points there come down to turnovers and Ohio State maybe not executing the best around uh, the couple fourth downs. I think that were on Oregon side. So regression to me feels like a really interesting choice of words there. Um, I won't say this was better. So I think I would probably say there is some slight regression, but I'm not going to sit here and say that like Oregon was incredible last year against Ohio state. They did a couple things really well and they made, they made the most out of a situation where they're going against a young quarterback. I think if Georgia had a true freshman quarterback also making his second start, it's probably, I'm not going to sit here with a straight face and say that they win the game or it's that competitive. But I could see it being a little bit more competitive than this because I thought Stetson Bennett was the X factor. I mean, we talked about it. Yeah. Up. Jared, we were talking about in the airport um, on, on Sunday morning after our flight of, you know, we both kind of could sense it could be a game where it gets really ugly, but it would require Stetson Bennett just being out of this world. And we didn't really know if he was going to be able to do that. He was so up and down last year, obviously played pretty damn well in the college football playoff and in the national championship game. But I think the sense was like, I, I don't know, is, is, is he really going to be – all of that, and he was everything and more. Was. I was about as good as you could expect to see from a quarterback in a game like this. So, um, again, I think comparing these two teams in games is really kind of a bit silly in terms of like it's two totally yeah, different these teams. Are just... But, but I just would say like the one thing I would point to is that like um, last year's team faced a new quarterback. This year's team faced a veteran quarterback. I think that honestly is a, about as big of a part of the defensive stuff. Um, as you can find, because I'd actually say Ohio State probably has a little bit better guys out wide than Georgia does. But again, Georgia figured out what they wanted to do and just stuck with it. And Ohio State had a hard time executing like that. The main difference between the Ohio State and the Georgia game is that Ohio State's defense wasn't good last year. It just wasn't ever good. And Oregon scored 35 points against them. They got their defense actually to rest on the field. Um, I know Oregon had a couple longer drives uh, against Georgia this time around, but uh, they also put pressure on uh, Ohio State last season. It's like, hey, you guys should probably score because we're just running right through your defense. Uh, Oregon had just no – they had some success against Georgia this on Saturday, but compared to Ohio State, it's just different. And also, Oregon's defense against Ohio State was was pretty poor. 
Um, they almost blew that game. It was very close down the end. You know, that interception from Verone McKinley, um, you know, really obviously it sealed the deal eventually, but that was, I, I don't know how to, how to compare these two. It was both poor defenses all around. Um, I, I don't know if there's a regression. I don't know, like that from, from my recollection of that Ohio state game, it wasn't like Oregon's defense really won them that game. I thought it was Oregon's ability to match them blow for blow with Ohio State and them making some costly mistakes, whether it's a play call on fourth down, whether it's a drop ball, whether it's an interception from a young quarterback. Um, I just think it was – it's hard. It's, it's really hard for me to compare those two games, and I, I don't know if there's an obvious regression. I don't know if there's an obvious uh, regression to the means or progression. Um, I just think they're two completely different teams, and I think that – I think – Georgia last season is obviously a much different team than this season, but I think this year's Georgia team would have smoked last year's Ohio state team. If we can think about that for a second, I don't, these are, these are two very different teams or two different various scenarios. And um, I don't think it matters that five guys played in last year's game. If they played in this year's game, I just think it's so different all the way around for both sides of the ball. I mean, how much, much of a factor would it have been that if Oregon's offense, the second possession, uh, it ends at the Oregon 47 with a really bad interception thrown on first down, um, bad as in play calling scheme wise. What if Oregon ends that, you know, they get 15, they were moving the ball effectively. And then all of a sudden just an interception. So yeah. what if they just, what if they just get a field goal? And then the next drive for Oregon, they got all the way to the 29 for for Georgia, and they threw a pick again. So what if that one ends in a touchdown? And these are big ifs here, obviously. Right. But the game now is totally different because Oregon's offense was able to convert, and that's what you guys brought up against Ohio State was it was so significant for Oregon to get that upset win at Ohio state because the offense moved the football down the field and scored. They converted their drives. They finished their job this time around Oregon's offense. Their, their first three and out didn't come until the second to last possession of the game for them. Right. When they went three plays, eight yards, they just didn't finish their drives. If they finish even half of them or a third of them, this game a doesn't look nearly as bad as it did, and it probably looks even better because the defense isn't out on the field so often and isn't put in these tough situations, and the momentum that the offense had for Georgia probably isn't as bad. And so while the defensive issues are concerning, if the offense could have just finished a couple of drives, this game would have felt different. By the way, here's a stat that's pro-offense that I looked up. How many teams last year – I know Georgia defense last year versus this year – uh, different personnel, but how many teams last year ran for more yards than Oregon did against Georgia on Saturday? Last year for Georgia, what's it? One hundred and forty. I'll go zero. One team, and it was very, yeah. it was Florida, and it was it ran for one hundred and sixty. So, if you want to be glass half full, the offense was effective running the football in ways that almost nobody was last year against Georgia. Georgia I mean, averaged about eighty-seven yards against them rushing last year. So. Just, just trying to find a positive. We're talking about the offense, yeah. which I agree they didn't finish drives. They did move the ball effectively at times. There's right. a lot I'll go, to like there. 
I'll go glass half full as well on the offense. And, and Matt is right. Like those two interceptions, like that's a big difference maker in those games. The first one, I don't mind the play call and taking a shot. It's just, why are we taking a shot to a five foot eight receiver Seven. beyond me? Uh, the second interception. Yeah, it was, it was just a poor decision by Bo Nix. But again, like, like Matt was saying, they were able to move the ball. They were able to be creative and they, even though they weren't getting any separation from their wide receivers, they were still able to use their running backs, all five of them effectively. They were yep. able to still find their tight end out with Terrence Ferguson open for five or six yards at a time. They weren't massive 20, 30-yard gain chunk plays, but they moved the ball. And, again, if they score that second drive or if they score that third drive, I think it looks a little different. It feels a little different for Oregon. And when you go down at half, I don't remember the halftime score, but it felt like you know, 100. It was, it was 28 to 3. Right, twenty-eight to three. When you go down, then that's your halftime score after a failed hail mary <laughs> at the end of the half. Um, it just feels a lot different than if it were twenty-eight to fourteen. Simple I mean, that. Oregon got the ball with twenty-one seconds to go in the first half, and I think all three of us were like, "Just take the knee, get out of here. This is a disaster. Nothing is going good. Get out of here." And they got all the way to the thirty-six at Georgia. They just literally ran out of time. It, you know, if they maybe had. We had that debate. Do you try trotting Camden Lewis out there for a 50-something yard field goal, or do you try and chuck it down the field for a touchdown? And um, they ended up trying to score a touchdown, and the the offensive line couldn't protect Bo Nix long enough for him to throw the ball downfield or for the receivers to even get down there. But nonetheless, like in 21 seconds, Oregon put themselves in a situation where it's, well, do we kick the field goal or do we go for a touchdown? Like, I don't want to make, I don't want to say Oregon's offense was tremendous and it's going to be really good because they only scored three points. That's the reality. But there's little things that you can find that tell you, hey, if they make a progression week one to week two and then week two to week three and then week three to week four, this thing is going to look good on offense. It's there. They just have to shine it up a little bit. And, and then I'm going to jump to this question because we got to keep the show moving. And of the 14 opponents Georgia played last year, only five gained more yards than Oregon's 313. So, um, you know, they Georgia shut out a lot of teams with similar scoring margins. Oregon actually was on, you know, on the top 50 percentile of teams against Georgia in terms of moving the ball last year or would have been against uh, this year's defense. I, I, I guess it's hard to compare because you're looking at different personnel. But just in terms of comparing where Georgia's been historically defensively, Oregon offensively actually moved the ball a little better than, than a lot of teams did a year, a year ago, at least. All right, next one from at Steve Hagen. Or at, sorry, at Hagen one Steve. How bad are Thompson, Butterfield, if the coaching staff refuses to give either of them snaps in a 49-3 embarrassment, which the starter was less than mediocre? Hashtag, thoughts and audibles. Um, if this was week 10 of the season – and they didn't give anyone a shot, I would be more concerned. It's week one. And I think there's actual negative consequences to me of putting in Ty Thompson. It wouldn't have been Jay Butterfield, but Butterfield's out. Just don't consider him, a, a, don't, don't consider him an option at this point, unless it gets really ugly. But I don't think you're putting Ty into a game, regardless of margin, week one, if Bo wants to keep playing. Because it's you're not going to win the game. And are you going to change quarterbacks next week? Are you really saying that after one loss, you're going to change the quarterback? I don't know if that's – I personally, I don't know if that's the right play. 
And I think clearly the staff isn't comfortable enough, as the question kind of indicates, isn't ready to throw out Ty Thompson because they think Bo gives them a better chance to win games. So um, I think I actually think it would have been a mistake personally to put out Ty Thompson for a drive at yeah. the end there. I think you to me to me I, I, you guys might disagree. I know a lot of listeners do. I know my dad texted me and said he didn't understand why that happened. So I know a lot of people who are very invested in this program were confused with it. But I'll just say you're 49 to 3. You're not going to win the game, right? You want to get some positive momentum for the quarterback you intend to continue utilizing. You got to right. keep him out there. They, you know, if they score a touchdown on that last drive, we might be not that we're talking differently like, "Oh man, Bo was incredible. Wow, they offense scored 10 points. How magical." <laughs> but <laughs> But that's a little bit of momentum, right? A little bit yeah. of momentum, at least to carry that they, hey, they, they finished with some positive stuff. And I think even though they didn't score, you can feel decent about a 19-play, 87-yard drive. My point is, I don't know what the benefit is for playing Ty Thompson there. Like giving him snaps and reps, I get that part. But in terms of the actual season of trying to work towards getting better for an offense that still is going to be focused around Bo Nix, I don't know if it's beneficial to play Ty Thompson. I don't. No, yeah, I, I agree. I think it was... There's just no use, like you're saying. It's not that beneficial. You're trying to create a camaraderie and kind of continuity and some chemistry with that first team. You're trying to get Bo Nix to I – mean, obviously, they've had all fall camp, and but, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter until you get into the games. And you could see them at points during the game having some real, real chemistry and really getting used to Bo and then the passes out of the backfield. But, um, I, I mean, I thought about it just, you know, throw a tie in there. Why not? Um, it just it doesn't behoove them to do it on the first game of the season. Um, if it were week ten, like you're saying, Eric, yeah, that might make a little bit more sense. But you know, Bo Nix, like Dan said afterwards, Dan Landing said afterwards, like that's that's their quarterback. They're going to continue with him in the week two, um, barring a significant surprise. And you know, they're they're going to want to build more. Like I'm saying, like more continuity. They're going to want to build more reps. They're going to want to try out some playbook stuff with him on the field and not Ty or, or Jay Butterfield, I guess. Um, so, I don't. again, I don't think it was the bad move to not put Ty in there. Um, I think it just would have done nothing overall. Maybe would have created more hype for, for Ty if he did something well that um, the, the coaching staff would have to deal with. So, um, And I thought Bo was better than less than mediocre. I thought he was – know a little bit better than average if i mean there were people on our mentions on the message board everywhere midway through the game saying bo needs to get pulled and if you're gonna do that you can't play him the rest of the year because of confidence that you, you just kill it and then if if ty isn't the person or jay wasn't the player and then you throw bow back in or what have you now you've told everybody you don't have a you don't have a quarterback on the roster you've basically killed the confidence of all three guys on on the team and you still have nine ten twelve games left on the season and you screwed yourself it, you know, football is not a knee-jerk reaction sport it's not something mid-game that you can make this huge drastic change uh, and it's not something that after week one that you make a huge drastic change unless it's clear as day that things are not working and for Oregon yeah they scored three points but it was clear it was an execution problem guys Bo Nix was leading the offense down the field things were working and they just need to be better and if he's not better in six weeks seven weeks eight weeks 
and the season has gone awry and you're fighting to win four games, then yeah, make the change. But that's not the situation that we're in right now. And so I, I, I also think it's telling that there's been three head coaches, Mario Cristobal, interim head coach, Brendan McClendon, and now um, Dan Lanning, that in blowout scenarios, all three of them have faced it. The backup quarterback, it's not just Ty, it's Jay too, has not gotten into the game. And I, I just think fans have, have just automatically assumed that Ty in particular is going to be this amazing quarterback. And yet the data that we've seen of him not being able to get into the game should tell you something, I think. I'm not saying he's not going to be good down the line. I'm not saying he he's terrible, but that should be noted that three different people whose jobs is to run a football team have chosen not to play him in blowout situations. I want to insert a question here that we got from a listener. Um, so I'm going to try to find it really quickly about something you brought up, which is kind of like a timeline for when you think it's reasonable to consider a change. Um, I'm, uh, I, I want to try to find it really quick. Sorry. I was, I was just listening to Matt's comment there about like six, seven, eight games in, maybe it's, it's worth considering a change if the season's gone awry. Um, so I want to get the exact wording on this just because I want to give credit. And if I can't find it quickly, I'll just, we'll just, I'll just, we'll just kind of talk about what we're talking about. And the, the listener will know that we were talking about them um, when we were trying to find this question, which I am not having success finding. So, uh, from Dan Lanning's press conference? No, it's from a, it's, it was an Alton Audible's question that was asked that I almost used, but I chose to go uh, with I chose to go with this one we just used. Um, Jared, actually, can you Jared, can you po poke around through that question thing? I'm having. I'm looking yeah right it. now. There's a question. It was like, how short is the leash or something like that? Um, oh, um, go ahead. You got shoot. it. No, I know exactly which one you're talking about. It. Like yeah, I couldn't find it for some reason. I don't know if they deleted it or if it got lost. We had a lot of questions asked this week, so I was having a hard time trying to track it down. But my my point is like, when do we oh, think it? I think I found it. What is it? Go ahead. Uh, it's from DJ Drewster at Drew Goalie, a repeat question asker here. Uh, is it fair to say that after Saturday's game, the leash for Knicks is quite long? Question mark. There you go. That's what it was. Um, because I kind of I do kind of wonder when it's fair to revisit a quarterback competition this season. Um, Obviously, I think it would be ludicrous to do it now, just like I think it's yeah. ludicrous to fire a defensive coordinator after one game. It's ludicrous to change a quarterback after are you sure? one game. I think <laughs> I, I feel pretty confident with both those assessments. I think those are both knee-jerk fan reactions. That's like these aren't things aren't things. It is that, a fan reaction, that's for sure. Th these aren't things that would happen in a well-coached, well-run organization, in my opinion. Um so, like, but when when is it fair? Is it is it? Do you get to the bye week and you assess how bad does it have to get? Um, I personally don't think we're even close because, like, Jared said, I don't know if I think Bo was above average, but I don't think he was like that. Wasn't the worst quarterback play I've seen from an Oregon quarterback, in, you know, in the last ten years? I've seen a lot worse than that, and I've and it, <laughs> they were also facing the best talent any quarterback has probably faced in that same span. So, like. I'm not even of the mind that like pulling bow and, and making a change is really makes much sense or it's even close, but like, do we, let's say they beat Eastern Washington. He's not great. They lose to BYU. He's pretty bad. And they lose to Washington state and he's pretty bad. And you're now one in three and your one wins over an FCS team. Like that's worst case scenario. 
are you confronting a change then or are you just kind of feeling like hey unless this gets unless this is just so untenable that it's like the team is like revolting against it you stick with them at least through the bye week i think if we're going off of that scenario i could see it it just again i think it depends on how poor the play is Agreed. um I, I i don't think nick's I don't think he was playing poor against Georgia. I think he was just average, if not just like 51%, if 50 is average. Like, that's just the hardest competition Oregon's going to play in, I don't know, I don't even know the last time they would play a defense that good. Probably against 2016 Washington. That's the other defense that I could think of that is that good. Um, and they certainly got their, their butts handed to them in that game too. But, you know, I think he's gonna he's gonna be fine. I think we're gonna see this against Eastern Washington. I think we're gonna see this against BYU and Washington State. I think the offense and everything is gonna be all right when it comes to playing a competition that actually is is maybe I guess more in their wheelhouse compared to the top three team in the country. Um, but if we're going off of that scenario, Eric, that you had laid out, I think it, at that point it would depend on how poor the performance is and how the staff feels about Thompson. It's yeah. like Matt said, maybe down the road he is really good, but maybe right now there's there's a reason that there's been two straight quarterback competitions that have not gone Thompson's way, um, and maybe they just would rather take the safe option with Knicks than, I don't know, potentially be that two-win team like our friend on the message board mentioned. Um, two things. One – the last time we have seen a quarterback change mid-season, mm-hmm. not due to injury, was 2016. Yeah. And Oregon opened that year 2-0. and And with Dakota Prukop at quarterback against UC Davis, they won 53-28. The next week at home against Virginia, they won 44-26. Life was good for Oregon. And then they went to Nebraska. They lost 35-32 in a game which they lost by three, and they missed – four two-point conversions so had they just kicked their field goals or the pats uh they would have won that game and herbert probably doesn't find his way into the game um but then the losses came three straight losses or two three straight losses nebraska colorado and washington state uh oregon scored 32 tough yeah they scored, they scored 32 38 and 33 points in those games um they lost by three Nebraska and Colorado. They got blown out uh, in, in Pullman by Washington State. And I think maybe what sealed the deal was late in that game, they put Herbert in and he led a touchdown drive. I think he threw a touchdown to Jake Breland, if I remember correctly. Um, and then the switch to Herbert. Oregon lost three straight. And it's not often that Oregon loses three straight games in a regular season. Um and it's happened, but it's also happened when maybe the star quarterback is hurt and you're not going to make a change because your best, most important player isn't there. So for me, it's kind of like when you get to that three loss, three losses in a row type mentality and you don't have any kind of success. Um, and secondly, I, I don't think the difference here is when Herbert showed up as a freshman, we all knew Dakota Prukop was the starter, but Players, Darren Carrington, mm-hmm. Arrow Brown, offensive coordinator Matt Lubick, they raved about what Herbert was doing. 
mm-hmm. and that has not happened really with Ty or with Jay. Certainly good things have been said about both, but it's always been reporter going out and asking for comment on said player. It's not like what happened with Herbert where Farrah Brown comes out and is asked about Dakota Prukop or Darren Carrington comes out and is asked about Dakota Prukop and is like, yeah, he's doing good. But I'll tell you what, we got this young quarterback. He's going to be really good when it, when it's his time, when, when he maybe grows a little bit more, he's amazing. We don't, we haven't heard about that in four or five years from anybody, whether that's Shuck, whether that's Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield or Robbie Ashford, Braxton Burmeister, none of those guys did that. And that's important. I think that's important when you don't have this non-media generated hype about a certain player. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll finish up the mailbag here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Uh, what, four questions in? we got a couple more to go. Yeah, we're. I was gonna. I was just gonna say we had only prepped for five, but we've already asked four because we just tossed in Drew Goley's question. Which thanks, Matt for Jared for finding that one because I anytime I was looking for it furiously, realizing I couldn't find it because we did get a lot of submissions this week, which is great. Um, how are we feeling on how we want to end this? Do we want to jump into four? Or do we want to just go to five? How, I mean, I don't know how much more we feel like. I think if we jump let's into go, four, let's, let's do the two, and we'll just make sure that. No tangents here. No tangents. All right. No this tangents. Is just, this is going to be straight 45 seconds. You're asking seconds. a lot, Matt. All right. All right Matt. <laughs> Matt, get a timer out. We're going 45 seconds each. All right. Ready? How could, no, I'm just kidding. Go. We're not, we're not <laughs> doing that. We're, we're, this is going to – Well, yeah. Up. Were you factoring the reading of the question into your answer? Because I would have been – I would have to. I, time, yeah. All right. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be here for at least another hour. So fourth question Deal. from at Brazy underscore 2021. How concerning is it that your top three NFL prospects, Noah Sewell, Christian Gonzalez, and Brandon Dorless, all played poor yesterday? Is that an indictment on coaching or what? Um, we've addressed a little bit of this, but I, I think we haven't really focused on the individuals. We've talked so much defense here. We've talked so much quarterback. That's why I was kind of like, do we want to do four? Because we kind of addressed a lot of this. Um, if you want to run through it individually, I, I think some of this has to do with what we talked about earlier, which is Georgia's game plan, which is mm-hmm. just finding that 
Okay, who is Oregon's best defensive players? It's it's Brandon Dorless on the front. It's Noah Sewell and Justin Flo at linebacker, and it's Christian Gonzalez at corner. Gonzalez did get beat for a touchdown. He got beat for another pass to the middle of the field, I think both against Adani Mitchell, um, that led to a touchdown, I think, on their one of their early – it was it was in the first quarter, one of their early touchdown drives. I don't recall. I think it might have been the one Lad McConkney ended up running in for an end around, but I don't know. Um, so Christian Gonzalez, not perfect. Probably got beat twice all game. Yeah. Don't remember him missing a lot of tackles. Yeah. Don't feel like he was super out of position. Think that they probably just said, hey, guess what? We're not going to throw to the outside guys. We're going to throw to the guys in the slot. We're going to throw to tight ends, or we're going to throw to running backs. So Christian Gonzalez, I don't know if he played poor. I know he got beat a couple times. He's going against really good competition. I don't know what the draft range for Mitchell is, but I bet you that guy's going to be in the NFL pretty soon because most think, of these guys on Georgia's roster. I think you said about Georgia's entire team. That's what I was going to say. I think I can make a broad sweeping judgment that most of the guys we're talking about will be in the NFL. So Christian Gonzalez going against a guy who's really, really good, gets beat a couple of times, gives up a touchdown on, I thought, pretty decent coverage. He was right there. Ball was yep. well thrown, a nice catch. He tried to strip it out on the way down, couldn't do it. I didn't think he played like garbage. Um, Brennan Dorless, I also feel kind of like I don't think he played awful. Was he a huge presence as a pass rusher? No, but nobody for Oregon was. And I guess you can be disappointed because you needed to get after Bennett, and they just didn't do it. And I think Oregon's front is good. They did not win very many battles against Georgia's on pass plays. Against the run, Oregon was decent there. Georgia also, well, Georgia also ran so much stuff off tackle. Um, so, like, I don't know. I, I, I didn't watch the game and think, gosh, Dorless just got absolutely manhandled and annihilated. Because, again, a lot of Georgia's success was to parts of the field where Dorless is never going to have an impact. If you're expecting a 295-pound defensive end, defensive tackle, defensive lineman, however you want to refer to him, to be running east and west and, and tackling running backs and slot receivers, like that's just not realistic. So, so many like they had like 62 offensive plays. Probably 40 of them were plays where he's not, he's just not going to have a role. So because of how right. they're running it, and then Sewell's the one where I think you can get a little bit disappointed because. They picked on Flo and Sewell in terms of their ability to run sideline to sideline. Um, I'll also say, like, that's really good coaching on Georgia's part. And I feel like Sewell could have had a bigger role, probably should have been a little bit more involved, did get beaten a few times um, in coverage. There were some, certainly some mistakes there. That's never his strength of his game. And when you play other teams, they aren't going to attack it the same way. Maybe they'll try to. But if it, as Jared said earlier, when we were kind of debating back and forth about did something was up and exposed, was there a blueprint? As he said, and it's, it's a fair point, basically everyone else on the, on the rest of the schedule is not going to have four to six guys that can just abuse you with their quickness and speed and space. So or have the have, offensive line to get out there and block. Sure. The combination of that. Yeah, the personnel yeah. for Georgia is going to be better. So I, I do think Sewell of those three, I would say, was the most disappointing of that group. Um, I will also say, I think Georgia's offensive staff cooked up a really good game plan of like the things Oregon does well, we're just not going to do things to that, to those, where those players are going to be in advantageous situations. So, um, the question, is that an indictment on coaching or what? I actually think it's more than anything, like it shows that Georgia's really smart and made some, and, and, and had a lot of time to look at this, had a lot of time to think and figure it out. Okay. This is where Oregon's strengths are. 
because again, not a lot of runs to the middle of the field that game. I don't have the data in front of me. I wish I did. Most of what they did was to the outside. And that means that you've got Sewell, who is a guy who excels in the box running in parts of the field where he's not at his best. So um, I don't know if it's an indictment on Oregon's coaching. I just know that Georgia put him in spots. Maybe there, maybe there are ways to mitigate that. I just don't understand what you're going to do with where you, how are you going to play Noah Sewell differently to yeah. where he's going to have a ton of success. Cause guess what? If you like spread him out really, really wide in some sort of like, ed, like exaggerated scheme, they're just going to throw it right to the middle of the field to the tight end over and over again. So I, right. I, I, I don't know really where the edge was to be had, except for they kind of figured out where Oregon was weak and they took advantage of it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have a lot else to say. I just, you know, Sewell is probably the most concerning just in pass coverage and communication errors that he had during the game. Uh, Doorless, Eric, like you said, they didn't run anything up the middle, so he really had a very small chance to make an impact. And on, on pass rush, Oregon got there a couple times, but most of the time it was just a quick pass out to the flats or in a running back screen, so they had no time to actually do anything. Yes, um, exactly. And then Christian Gonzalez I thought was fine. I don't – again, they did not. They took – a handful of passes in his direction and whether that's because Christian Gonzalez is really good and they don't want to go and try to attack him or they're just game planning entirely to never actually throw the ball vertically and more horizontally. Um, I'm going to go with the latter on that because that's what, that's exactly what they did. Um, but other than that, I think Gonzalez played fine. He had four tackles. It, it is what it is, but um, just like looking at the, t- the tackle sheet here, it's like, Oregon's top six or seven tacklers were all either linebackers or cornerbacks or safeties. Mm-hmm. Like that was where the game was played. Um, so an indictment on poor coaching. No, uh, really smart coaching by Georgia. Uh, like Eric mentioned, the the strength of Oregon's defense this season will be up the middle. Their front seven specifically, their back, back four are going to be tested a lot. And I'm not sure we'll see it a lot against Eastern Washington, who threw the ball 40 times last week. So I think that'll be interesting to watch. Um, overall, uh, I don't, I don't want to say they all look poor. I think Sewell was mildly concerning, but those are your top three NFL draft prospects, and the reason why they're your top three will show throughout the season, time and time again. Yeah, what Jared just said there is perfect because we don't want to make one sweeping judgment on one game out of. 12, 13, potentially 14 sample sizes. Is it concerning? Yeah, but guys have bad days. Um, that's going to happen. We're all human. We all do it. Um, I, I'm Look, we, we went in going to this season. I, I, I've been saying, you know, a big reason why I thought maybe Bossa would start overflow was because we knew going into the year, Flo and Sewell, they're amazing against the run, but they are – they their strength is not pass coverage. They they get they have trouble in pass coverage, and that was kind of Boss's big claim last year as a freshman was he was really good in pass coverage. And so I walked away thinking like, wow, that was surprising because they did try to move Bossa in for flow a little bit more in the second half and early in the in the second quarter, and they didn't get any kind of improvement there. That was a concern for me was they did the shift. They had one strong run linebacker, one strong pass coverage linebacker playing together, and it didn't work. And to me, that's a concern. And then we saw, you know, we saw uh, Jackson LeDuc get in there, and he just was not athletic enough to compete at that level of a game, which is concerning because now it's, okay, well, the guys behind us, we can't play because 
they're not there physically. And the guys that we do have were getting exposed because Georgia was going after their weaknesses. So that's a concern for me at linebacker. Um, I'm not too worried about Christian Gonzalez. I'm not too worried about Brandon Dorless. Dorless in particular because for him to make plays, they have to run the ball. And they went away from him. They went to the right. perimeter. They didn't run the football. To me, that's an ultimate sign of respect of, hey, we know Dorless is really good. We know Flo and Sewell are elite in stopping the run. Let's not even do it unless we absolutely have to. And then Gonzalez, like you both said, like didn't get a lot of targets his way. He had maybe the best tackle of the entire game, uh, maybe for for both teams, if, if I'm being honest. Most impressive individual performance um, yeah. when he saved the touchdown and Georgia scored the next play. But I'm not too worried yet about – those two guys. I don't think there's anything to worry about. The ultimate flattery for a defensive player is teams just not even going your way to give you an opportunity to make a play. Right. I was just one gonna, last thing. Oh, Sorry, okay, go ahead. Ahead. oh, I was just gonna say it it's the equivalent in basketball if you've got a great shot blocker. If nothing's take if they don't shoot in the paint and they're just shooting mid range shots and three point shots, same kind of thing. You, you you mitigate it by not letting that player do what he does best. And that's what Georgia did with basically all of Oregon's good players. They've schemed. And that's it. good that, that is good, good coaching. And good that's job. where you have you have to just tip your hat to Georgia and be like, look, they game planned it perfect and went away from Oregon's strengths and had perfect success. My one last thing here is just Dorless is also a guy who doesn't accumulate that many stats. It's the same with Sam Taimani. Right. It's like when they run up the middle, they'll get stats, but you know he's not going to be like a like you know a ten sack a year guy. But he's he's still still very good at his position. He's just even on his best games, he's not going to get more than like four or five tackles. So I think I don't I, again. You'd have to really rewatch the tape to know if he played poor, and I don't think he did. And I don't even I didn't, even, I didn't really rewatch the tape that much, but. It's hard for me to say, like, oh, he had a poor, poor performance again on Saturday against Georgia when they, like Matt just said, they didn't run at all towards him. They just took him out of the game completely. Yeah, they didn't run at all. And as you said, Jared astutely, when they did throw the ball, which is where we think Dorless can have a big impact, it was quick hitting stuff that doesn't give yeah. you any chance to do anything. That's what teams did against Thibodeau last year too, by the yep. way. They they ran, you know, well, they, 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 the running game was different, but in terms of passing, boom! If we get it out quick, he can't do anything. What's he going to do? All right, last one from at. Jeep Duck Nerd, new question asker, like the name. This looked bad. It's tough. Yes. It's a tough ask for Thank anyone you. to learn on a new job with a new boss in just a couple of weeks' time and then go test it against the nation's best. My question is, what effect do you see this having on recruiting? Hashtag Audible. I think this is a fair question. Um, sure. I think it's fair to have some concerns because this was ugly and it was a national game and you know this will be negatively recruited against, especially by SEC schools. Um, and we know that some especially of Oregon... Especially USC. Well, and especially... Well, USC will as well. I'm just saying the SEC schools can go, well, you guys oh, played yeah. one of our schools and just got absolutely just trashed. Like, it wasn't even competitive. So you know there's going to be more negative recruiting around losses. I also think we talk about this every year of recruits don't really make decisions based on one game. They make make decisions on one experience of an official visit. Like I think Kayvon Thibodeau, when Oregon beat Washington, it wasn't necessarily the result of beating Washington in overtime on that Burdell touchdown that was so significant. It was being there. It was the experience about being around the coaches and everything that kind of went around it. This game was not attended by recruits like the same way. This was a neutral, neutral site game 
But one of the one of the negative for a neutral site game for a Georgia is you couldn't host recruits the same way you could if it was play at Sanford Stadium. And for Oregon, same kind of thing, obviously at neutral site. So there weren't recruits there that I'm aware of that were like, I think that are just going to be like, oh my god, yeah, I'm never going to Oregon. Um, I do think though the concern is just trend. That's what we talked about earlier. I don't think one loss ends a recruitment, but sustained um, failure might. And so, like, if you're talking about a Dante Moore or a Jurion Dickey, Oregon's two five-star commitments, and Oregon starts the season one and four or something like that and finishes, worst-case scenario, like three and nine or something like that, there's going to be some real concern there. I mean, I, 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 you, it's hard to convince a kid who is talking about – both those guys are like, we want to go win national championships. Well, you win three games, you're not even close. So, to me, it's more about can you – you know, I just had all podcasts, get back on the horse, win some games, stop us from yeah. snowballing. If you don't, I think it gets a little more scary, but I don't know if it's going to have a huge role it, again. But I do think like if you're going head to head with Georgia for a recruit, which doesn't happen very often, and you're probably not winning those battles anyway, Georgia's staff's going to be able to be like, you know, a lot of respect for Dan, but did you, did you see what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think they would do that. I think they would just say, hi, I'm, I'm Kirby smart. And this is the right. university of Georgia. Like they don't need to, they don't need to bring this in. I think this yeah. is going to have zero impact on recruiting. I, I said the same thing about you know USC and you say move into the big 10. I don't think it's really going to have an impact. I just don't because honestly, do you see teams recruit top 10 classes every year who won seven, <laughs> eight, eight, nine games the last season? Look at Texas a and They just brought the best class in in college football history. They went eight and four last year, eight and four. You want to know what they're going to do this year too? Probably nine and three. It doesn't matter as much as you would hope to believe about on-field success year after year after year after year. And obviously there are cases like Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson where that sustained success is what matters. But Oregon's had sustained success now for like 20 years. They're going to get recruits and they are going to lose recruits. It's just how it's going to be. And we've seen from from Dan Lanning in the in the brief nine months that he's been here, even after all the fallout of last season's team and this new coaching staff and this new turnover, he was still able to land Josh Connerly, still able to land Kyla Caspers and get commitments from Dante Moore and Caleb Presley and Jurion Dickey. Um, I don't think this game is going to have that significant of an impact. Yeah, people like Eric mentioned, you look at this from a bigger picture. You don't look at this as a one game at a time. And if you did look at it one game at a time, it'd be a very fragile recruitment. You'd be switching schools every other day because anything can happen in college football. Did you watch the LSU and Florida State game? Do you think a bunch of LSU potential special teamers decommitted after that game because they had to play with that special teams coach? No, I don't think so. It's LSU. It's Florida State. These kids, you know, if, if they grew up in Tallahassee, they're going to go to Florida State. If they grew, grew up in New Orleans, they're probably going to go to LSU. If a kid is a four-star recruit in Eugene, they're probably going to go to Oregon, even if they lost 49 to three. Um, I think it's an irrational reaction to think it's going to have a significant uh, impact on how recruiting goes this season, unless it's like what Eric said, and this is a snowball effect and Oregon begins to lose and lose and lose. And then they go two and 10, like our good friend said on the message board. I don't know if he's a good friend of mine. I'm not sure we're friends. I'm, I, I haven't decided. If like like our constituents said on the message board, if a player is going to decommit after one loss like that, he's probably going to decommit anyways. Right. Right. Down, yeah, you down, don't down want down him. The road. And you don't want him anyways. Um, you know. So that's how I view it. Will there be guys 
Oregon has 17 verbal commitments right now. Will there be players who end up not signing with Oregon uh, in the middle of December? Yeah. There'll probably be a couple that either choose to go somewhere else or maybe Oregon kind of works it around and says, hey, like, we're going to go in a different direction. You can stay committed, but we're going to recruit another player at your position. And if that if that bothers you, you might want to look elsewhere. Um, so there's going to be guys that, that will flip to other schools. But if they choose and cite this reason as the reason why, like they probably weren't going to sign with Oregon anyways, and they're just using it as a cop-out. And like you guys have said, like players don't even recruit or make decisions for the most part off of one season. It's the longevity of a program. And for Oregon, it's all about showing progress. As long as you show the progress is being made, and that doesn't necessarily mean wins and losses. It's just, is your team getting better? And are you putting your players in position? Recruiting will be fine. If I'm Dante Moore and I watch that game, I, I look at it as well. They, I've got an opportunity to be day one starter at Oregon. If I'm Jerion Dickey, another five-star, a receiver, I look at Oregon's receivers and go, yeah, they, they had some good moments, but there's nothing there that tells me I can't show up and, and be a day one starter for, for Oregon. Caleb Presley, their third best commit, a cornerback? Yeah, man. I think I think there's an opportunity there for me to make plays and, and come in. Ashton Cozart, another four-star receiver who has elite track speed. Man, they couldn't go over the top. That's exactly what my biggest – skill set is right now is my size and my track speed. I can go over the top. I can play right away. So I, I look at this and think as long as this doesn't turn into a regular occurrence where Oregon's getting blown out, recruiting is going to be fine for Oregon. And Jared said it best. Like they've recruited well for 20 years. They'll recruit well for 20 more years. Things aren't changing for Oregon on the recruiting trail. And a lot of times recruits, you know, they commit to coaching staffs. Right. What, what's the reason to go into USC the last couple of years? Is it the on-field success? Is it the, 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 just the proximity and the coaching staff, especially with Lincoln Riley? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And if Oregon staff continues to build relationships across the country, players will will come. They'll come because they, they, they like Lanning. They like Kenny Dillingham. They like Tosh Lupoy. They want to be coached by these guys. You know, there's a whole bunch of reasons as to why a recruit either decides to commit and sign with a school or not. And one game is not doing anything about that. It's also why you don't fire coaches after one game because that yes. tells the recruits that the school has no commitment towards the coaching staff, not that they need to have ample control and that they don't take into consideration results. But one game doesn't define a, someone's oh, you know, overall uh, if they're employed by the school. I think that's a, a silly way to approach it. So anyway, I've said that three times. I'll stop. That'd be pretty tough if, if they went one game at a time. Can you imagine having like one bad podcast and then Pat calling you is like, you're out, get out of here. Don't watch <laughs> Jared, Jared, I hate to say it. Have you, have you looked at your phone? Um, not, yeah. not you're recently. out. This yeah, is, yeah, this is it because I like this pronounced something? What's going on here? This hasn't gone very well for you, Jared. So um, oh, I, think, I think you're out. Sorry. Bad podcast. <laughs> Damn fans. <laughs> See you, bud. All right. That's going to do it for us on the Ottawa's podcast. If you don't watch the uh, online stream, Jared just got bounced by Eric. <laughs> he was literally kicked him out of the show. 
that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Obelisk Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the show, as we will all week leading up to Saturday's home opener against Eastern Washington. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.